Thank you, Alana, for reminding us this beautiful truth. Fair is the Lord Jesus. Indeed, he shines brighter, brighter, and he's the brightest among us. Today, we are delighted and privileged to have one of our very own Bill Boyce bringing God's word to us. He's the man that does not need much introduction. He is the chairman of our elder board here at the church, and he has been serving many years faithfully down the street at the campus as the director of Princeton Christian Fellowship. Now, I've heard the message in the first service, and I was very edified by that. So may the Lord speak to your heart as Billy Voice comes up. Would you welcome him this morning? Thank you, Jen. Good morning. So if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, Pastor Matt has plunged us headlong into the great uh, chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And uh, he asked me this morning if I would uh, continue in that uh, section of Scripture. And so we're going to be focusing particularly this morning on Romans chapter 8 and, uh, and verse 4. And to orient us to this uh, great text, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and you'll find that on your uh, uh, church Bible on page 944. So follow with me as I read uh, Romans 8, 1 through 4. This is uh, the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. This is God's Word. And as I was considering, uh, this is obviously a very densely uh, argued uh, portion of Scripture, and as I was thinking about the logic and the flow of what the Apostle Paul is saying here, I had one of those happy kind of aha moments where I, I made a connection in, in my mind between this text and uh, of a famous uh, text over in the Gospel of John. And if you, if, uh, you, you might go ahead and turn there to John chapter, uh, John chapter 8. And so I put this uh, down in my notes, and then on uh, Friday afternoon I was reading um, some sermons on the book of Romans by uh, James Montgomery Boyce, a, a different voice, uh, different spelling. But uh, uh, many of you will recognize that name, a, a beloved uh, great preacher of the word down at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And I'm reading his notes, and he, he made this same connection with John chapter 8. And, you know, in my, in my ego, my first response was, no, that was my idea. But um, I think it's better for you because then maybe it is a valid connection after all. Um, and here's the connection as we think about Romans chapter 1 through 4. In John chapter 8, John is recounting an event in which... Uh, uh, the Jewish religious leaders brought 
to uh, Jesus a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, the text says. And it's telling, right, that they only brought the woman. They didn't bring the man. And uh, that and other things in the text indicate that they probably didn't really care very much about true justice. They certainly didn't care about this woman. These men reminded Jesus as though he needed reminding of what the law said, uh, that the law, the Jewish law, called for the stoning of someone who was caught in such cases. And the reason they were doing this is they wanted to test him. They wanted to catch him in some kind of a, of a situation where they could bring an accusation against him because they hated him. And so how would he respond with this poor accused woman standing before them? And the text of John says that he was quiet, that he even bent down and, and uh, was, was quietly writing with his finger on the ground. But finally, he, Jesus stood up and he And he faced them all and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, at this woman. And at this, the text says that the men, beginning from the oldest to the youngest, began to walk away. Until only Jesus and this accused woman remained. And Jesus at that point stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go from now and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And I think that statement uh, from the the lips of Jesus is, is a beautiful capture of what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. He begins by saying that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has taken our guilt and our shame upon himself. And then Paul goes on to say, not only is there no condemnation, but because of what God has done, we can now go, leave behind our life of sin, and begin to live righteously, to live in righteousness. And as we focus this morning, particularly on verse 4, I want us to think about three things. First of all, uh, about what the gospel makes possible, picking up on that phrase, uh, might be fulfilled in us. And then second, how does the gospel get that done? Thinking about the phrase, who walk according to the Spirit. So gospel possibility, gospel power, and then thirdly, what the gospel calls us to, thinking about what Paul means when he talks about the righteous requirement of the law. And there we're going to talk about gospel pathways of righteousness. So first, what what the gospel makes possible? What is is Paul telling us here? Notice verse 4 begins with those three little words, in order that. And those three little words tell us that he, he's giving us the purpose, the goal, the reason that God sent his son to suffer in our place. And so think, begin at verse 3. The reason 
that God condemned sin, our sin, on the cross, in the flesh, that is, in the person of Jesus, the reason that God condemned sin in the flesh certainly, absolutely, was so that we might be forgiven of our sins. Yes, certainly it was absolutely so that we might be set free from the the just condemnation of a righteous God. Absolutely. But here in verse 4, Paul is moving beyond those wonderful realities, and he's taking another step now in explaining the gospel of God. Because what he says here is that the reason that God uh, punished his son for our sin is in order that we might begin to live righteously. And the two reasons we know that this is what he means, commentators talk about what he means here, of course they do. The reason that we know this is what he means is that first notice that little phrase, in us, that the law might be fulfilled in us, not for us by God, but in us through our own actions. And then second, notice the two little words that follow immediately after, who walk. Now, walk, most of you know, is a a biblical word that, uh, a very common word that is used to talk about the way a person lives, how a person conducts themselves. It has to do with your manner of life. And so these two phrases make it clear that what Paul is saying is that the gospel makes it possible for us, for you and me to actually begin to live a righteous life. God condemned our sin by laying it upon his beloved son as a substitute for us. That is why there is now no condemnation. But that's not the end of it. God did this so that, in order that, we might live a new obedience, a new obedience to the will and to the commands of God. This, in other words, is what the gospel leads us to. This is what the gospel makes possible. And I think that this ought to sound a bit astonishing to us, and particularly if you're familiar with the book of Romans and you've, you've read the first seven chapters, because if you go back through those chapters, one of the things that you're going to find that Paul is very strong on is that we, all humanity, has utterly failed to fulfill the righteousness of God and to live righteously. All of the aspects of God's righteousness, whatever you might think of in terms of the righteousness of God, things like his justice, his faithfulness, his kindness, his mercy, love, all of these aspects of righteousness, we have failed utterly to fulfill those things. For example, in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, no one is righteous. And in case you didn't get that, not even one. What is more, Paul is very clear, not only that we have failed to live righteously, but he's also very clear that we are not able in our own strength to do what God commands us to do. And so in chapter 7, right before the section that we're in now. Verse 18, he says, For I have the desire to do is right, even when I'm properly uh, desiring to do what is right. He says, But I find I don't have the ability 
to carry it out. And so what, the, what, what Paul is saying is, is the, what the gospel makes possible is not only freedom from the penalty of sin and our, uh, the penalty of our rebellion against God and our wicked ways that we treat one another, but also freedom from the power, the dominating and defeating power of sin over my selfish heart so that now I actually have a realistic hope. And we all need to, to hear that a realistic hope that I can live in a manner pleasing to God, that I can do what pleases God. And what God wants us to understand is that the purpose for which he has delivered us is so that we can begin to live in a way that pleases him, in a way that reflects his goodness, in a way that fulfills uh, everything that he desires. So he's not merely saying that your guilt is canceled. It is, praise the name of Jesus, but that he's made it possible for you to become what he has made you to be, for me to become what he has made me to be, a good, righteous people. Now, I should say that I don't think for a minute that Paul is saying that we will become perfect or that we will become sinless. Later, yes, but not, not yet. And that's not his point. Scripture is realistic about the fact that as recipients of this, this wonderful, powerful gospel, we will still disobey. We will still at times be divided in, in our loyalties and in our affections. We will still struggle with the evil impulses that, that arise in our hearts. But what Paul is saying is, is that in the gospel, God has given us everything we need to live as he designed us to live. Do you believe that? That, that, is, the, the, that is gospel possibility. That is a real hope. But you might say, well, how does that work? How, how does that work? And we need to talk a little bit about gospel power. Notice in verse 4 that he goes on, that the righteous requirement that we might live righteously, that that might happen, be fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. And, and I think, and I really do think, that we are often at fault of, of being sort of half of the gospel people. And what I mean by that is that, as I've already been speaking, we, we put a tremendous amount of emphasis in our preaching and in our teaching upon the truths of Scripture that we cannot, uh, by our own effort, uh, ever achieve this, this righteousness that God requires. And so we understand that, that our salvation is only by God's grace. It's his free gift, uh, that, it's, that it's only through faith. That, it, that it's not because of anything we have done or can do. Dale uh, was quoting Ephesians to this effect just a few minutes ago. That, that, that this is the great doctrine, biblical doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so we, for, we, we focus 
rightly on the forgiveness on, of our sins and on, on this truth that Jesus paid it all. But, but the good news, what Paul is telling us here in, in Romans is the good news doesn't end here. The work of God on, on our behalf doesn't end here. The gift of God, the work of God in our lives goes beyond the removal of our guilt to the giving of his Holy Spirit. And with that spirit, there is a new power and there, there is a new enablement to actually live in holiness and in righteousness of life. And that's the great doctrine of sanctification. You know, centuries prior to the time of Christ, God made a wonderful promise through the great prophet Ezekiel. And that we find it recorded in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to what God promised uh, to, uh, through Ezekiel there. He says, I will give, he's speaking to uh, the people of God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, your heart, your stubborn, your rebellious heart from you. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is tender, that is alive. And notice this, I will put my spirit within you. To what end? And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like Romans chapter 8. Verse 4. God in Ezekiel 36 made a promise. And in Jesus Christ, God has delivered that promise. You know, I, I don't, don't know about you, but sometimes I order things from Amazon. And um, I always get this happy little jolt when my, you know, my phone vibrates and and I, I pull it out and it says, your package has been delivered, right? You know, and now they've started sending a little photo. You can see it there on the front porch. And, you know, you know what Paul is saying in the book of Romans is God made a promise. God has delivered on that promise. The, the Holy Spirit has arrived. He is here. Don't leave him on the front porch. He, he is here. He has arrived. And, and that God not only takes away our condemnation, but he gives us his very presence in us and with us to enable us to live in a new obedience to his commands. He does not set us free. We, we, we love to sing that we've been set free. Yes, but he does not set us free so that we can turn around and, and continue to live in that old way of disobedience. That's crazy. No, he rescues us from sin so that we can begin to live in newness of life, in obedience. And he, he gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. That's gospel power. And do you believe that, God, that, that God's Spirit is in you today? Do you believe that that power is at work in you and in our midst to help us be this kind of righteous people? Well, thirdly, let's talk for a few minutes about what the gospel calls us to. Think about the paths of righteousness. 
what, what is this new obedience? What, what is the, the righteous requirement of the law? What, what might it look like for us to live in a way that, that fulfills that? And what, one way that's helpful for me to think about that question is, is to remind myself that the, the message of the gospel is not only vertical in its implications. In other words, it's not just about me and God. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm good with God, then I don't, I don't need to worry about anything else. The, the message of the gospel is also horizontal in its implications. In other words, the message of the gospel, when, when we really understand it and believe it and, and begin to, to live it, it impacts not only me, but it impacts other people. The, the gospel, in other words, is social in its implications, it's not just about solving the problem between me and God. It's, it's about an answer to the trouble between me and everyone else. The, the, the gospel gives me new life. It changes and transforms my heart. In, 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 in the giving of the Holy Spirit, God supplies me with power so that then I can be sent out as his agent, as his instrument, as, as his witness, as, as an example of the beautiful character of God to other people. So it's about becoming a new kind of person, a new kind of person in the midst of other people, a new kind of person in my family, a new kind of person in my marriage, a new kind of person in my school or in my workplace, in my community in my nation, in this world. And you know, when, when Paul talks about the righteous requirement of the law, I don't think he wants us just to think about a list of rules, of do's and don'ts. I think he wants, to, uh, wants us to, to think about a, a way of living and representing God in the world. You know, the nearest answer to, to what he's referring to by the fulfillment of the righteous requirement of the law comes just a few chapters later. Uh, if you turn in your Bible to page 948, this is just a few chapters later in Romans 13. And I want us to see what, what he says there, keeping that Romans 8.4 in the back of your mind. In Romans chapter 13, at verse 8, he says, uh, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, he begins to quote from the Ten Commandments, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment, these are summed up, he says, in this word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And over in Galatians 5, he says more briefly, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think what this is telling us is that all of God's commands for how we are to behave, how we are to think of, how we are to treat other people, all of those commands are designed 
to be expressions of both God's goodness and God's love. And so one way for us to think about righteousness, one way for me to think about what does it look like for me to live righteously is, is to think that righteousness is goodness working itself out in love. I love my neighbor when what? When I don't steal his lawnmower. And, and when, when I don't steal from him, that's an aspect of what it means for me to love him. I love my neighbor when I love justice. And when I pursue that, not only for myself, but when I pursue justice for my neighbor. I love my neighbor when I hate evil and when I push against it and work against it. And, and so we, we need God's word in order to understand goodness, in order to understand justice, in order to understand mercy and love. Paul quotes the Ten Commandments here because the Old Testament reveals so much to us of the goodness of God. It still has so much to teach us about what it looks like, the way to live righteously and in a loving manner. We need the scripture if we're going to know what it looks like to fulfill living righteously, we need the word of God. But this is the kind of people that God is freeing us and empowering us to become, people who really love others in all the fullness of what that means. Real righteousness is not something narrow and hard. Real righteousness is something beautiful. Micah 6.8 is, is a familiar summary of what God requires and desires of his people. And you, you, many of you have committed this verse to, to memory. He has shown you, O man, he has shown you, O woman, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or steadfast love, and to walk humbly with your God? What a beautiful, beautiful vision. And I think the danger for me, certainly, the danger for us might be that we have too small a vision of what it would look like for us as individuals and, and as, a, as a church to be really zealous for this kind of uh, love, to be devoted in this way to doing good, to be really eager for fulfilling righteousness in all of our ways. Because the righteousness that God desires of us needs to be bigger than just me following those narrow, little, well-worn, comfortable paths. It needs to be bigger than me just showing up for church on a Sunday morning or just making it out to my small group or just not, you know, stealing copy paper from the office or paying my taxes or being a law-abiding citizen or, or not uh, saying bad words when the Cowboys lose to the Packers. God is calling us to embrace a, a big, beautiful, glorious vision of righteousness that we live in and that we become agents of righteousness in the world. Not ever so that we become arrogant, so that we become judgmental, so that we become self-righteous. Never that. Always 
we must be humble, we must be deeply conscious of God's grace, but yes, righteous people. And I ask you again this morning, how are you doing with that? How's that going? As we, as we finish here, I want to think of another passage in the New Testament, which you can find on page 998, and that's in chapter 2 of Titus, where Paul is writing a, a word of exhortation to the younger pastor, Titus. And in that context, Paul speaks to him of the grace of God bringing salvation a grace that teaches us to renounce ungodliness, to renounce our worldly passions, a grace that trains us to be self-controlled, upright, godly people as we wait for the appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and then Paul says in verse 14, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to remove our condemnation, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify, to make holy or pure for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See the same pattern all over again. Neither do I condemn you, says Jesus. Now go, leave your sin behind. Live righteously in the world. God's purpose in removing your and my guilt and shame in giving us his spirit is that we might become a holy, righteous, good people, actively involved and engaged in doing good in this broken world. That's what you were created for. That's what you were redeemed for. And so this morning, you know, asking again, what's, what might this look like as you go home from church? What might this look like if you were to begin to embrace this in a fresh way? What might it look like in your school or your work, in your neighborhood, or in your community if you, if we, really began to be agents fulfilling the righteousness of God in the way we live? I think for many of us it might mean that there are some things that you know just sitting there right now this morning that you're doing that are not fulfilling the righteousness of God. And there's some things that, that you're thinking, oh, I really, I need to stop doing that. But also, and I think we have to pr pray for God to convict us in this, because, you know, if you're, if you're doing something you know is wrong, your conscience is telling you, you know, Bill, you're doing, that's wrong, you need to quit it. But, I think we need to pray also that the Holy Spirit would convict us that there may be ways that we are not living and fulfilling the righteousness that God calls us to that we're not even aware of because we're just not thinking about those things. And so maybe there are some new things that we need to begin to do as agents of our good, loving God, as agents of righteousness in the world. And I challenge you to think about what some of those things might be for you. Just this week, someone, uh, a dear sister, shared a, a brief testimony with me. And I think it captures something of this beautiful, this beautiful arc that we're talking about of moving from receiving the grace of God to then beginning to become uh, a, an, an agent of, of righteousness. She, she wrote, 
I once was a cruel and hateful person. I thought highly of myself, though I had little reason to do so. But God brought some hard circumstances into my life, and through them he showed me that I needed to know him. And as a result, I felt the light of the gospel begin to shine on my sin and to expose it. And simultaneously to give me hope that I could become a different person than I was. My life since then has been an experience of ever-increasing light. God exposing my sin, cleansing my guilt, reassuring me of his forgiveness, strengthening me in faith, never leaving me any uh, uh, Never leaving me, I'm sorry, even when I falter. And she writes, there is someone powerful at work here in her life. There is someone powerful who wants to be doing a good work in us and through us in this world. And that is Jesus Christ who sets us free from condemnation, who empowers us with his spirit, And he says, now get out there and live righteously and fulfill what God created you to do and to be. And, you know, maybe some of you today are feeling like, well, well, you don't know. You don't know the mess I'm in. You don't you don't know how the the guilt and the shame and the 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 failure that that I'm living in. And we, we need to go back to that prayer of confession we said together earlier and lay hold afresh of the grace and the goodness of God who says to you, no, I have laid your sin upon Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him alone and hear the the promise. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But maybe some of you have been believers for a while and you're still, you just feel like it's one step forward, two steps back and that you can never change. And we need to hear afresh God saying to to us today, no, I have given you my Holy Spirit, and that is a spirit of power. That is a spirit who, when you begin to walk according to that spirit and entrust God's word, you're going to begin to change. Things are going to be different. Lay hold of that promise. But if you're sitting here this morning thinking... um, I've not really been trying. I'm not really walking in those paths of righteousness at all. God maybe wants to say to you, well, this is, this is not a game. This is what I saved you for. This is what I sent my son into the world for, is, is that you might have a gift of life and you might begin to live in it. And and so God says to all of us this morning, through Jesus Christ, neither do I condemn you. Go. Leave your life of sin. Leave it behind and walk in paths of righteousness. Become the person that I have created you to be, a righteous person. Live that way. Become, go out and become a beautiful agent 
of God's goodness, of his mercy, of his love, of his justice, of his faithfulness, each one of us. And if we do that and think of the impact that just this small assembly can have in radiating out the goodness and the righteousness of God in every place and in every relationship. Amen. Let's do that. Lord God, thank you for this word that challenges our easy ways of thinking and calls us beyond our comfort to hear your call and your claim upon us as to the kind of people that you are making us to be. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that we have received, the forgiveness of our sins. Father, this morning we want to not only receive that gift, but acknowledge with it the gift of your Holy Spirit and that you are saying to us this morning, leave your sin behind, live in righteousness. Help us, Father, to do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.